Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at docwashburnshow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at your favorite podcast platforms. Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook, and you can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is episode 65 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. Coming up, Ray Epps is on video urging Trump supporters to go into the Capitol. A year later, Ray Epps has not been charged with anything, but that's okay because Nancy Pelosi's committee with a couple of rhinos on it says he's not a Fed. Details on that coming up in just a moment. But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashmanshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Okay, so yesterday we played for you audio of a couple of of United States Senators, Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton, Texas and Arkansas, respectively, grilling the assistant director of the FBI and the assistant attorney general of Biden's DOJ, trying to figure out why uh, Ray Epps who's all over video saying we've got to go into the Capitol, hasn't been charged with anything. Is he a Fed? How many Feds? Undercover. We're at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. I can't answer that, sir. I'm sorry. I have no answer for you. I don't know. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now there's panic in D.C., There's panic as those behind the stealing of the election and the, uh, I don't know, is it, uh, well, sometimes history doesn't always repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. those behind the stealing of the election and those behind the um, obvious federal setup on January 6th are terrified that their narrative may be falling apart. So we look at a remarkable thread on Twitter from yesterday afternoon after our show was over for over three hours a guy named Adam Kinzinger. Now, Adam Kinzinger ran for Congress as a Tea Party conservative and at some point decided, you know what? I think I'd rather be an ever-Trumper. I think I'd rather be the Democrats' favorite Republican in Congress. Now, he's not going to be running for re-election this November Because after the 2020 census came out, the Democrat legislature in his home state of Illinois 
redistricted and put him in a heavily Democrat district. So he's giving up. But in the meantime, he's one of two rhinos, the other being Liz Cheney on Nancy Pelosi's <laughs> uh, uh, 9-11, I mean, no, not 9-11, uh, January 6th commission. Yeah. <laughs> So Adam Kinzinger on Twitter late yesterday afternoon said this. Ray Epps thread. Number one, I know this will break some hearts. For a few months, people like Tucker Carlson, MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and now Ted Cruz have been, quote, just asking questions, unquote, about a man named Ray Epps. Number two, Adam Kenzinger says he was on video the day before January 6th saying, quote, we're going into the Capitol, unquote. Some of the crowd chanted, Fed, Fed, Fed. Why? Who knows? Maybe they knew he was video talking about breaking into the Capitol the day before it was to happen and wanted to create distance. <laughs> Kinzinger conveniently leaves out the fact that when Ray Epps, the night before January 6th, is saying we're going into the Capitol tomorrow, people were screaming no before they started yelling fed, fed, fed. Number three, from Rhino of all rhinos, Adam Kinzinger, he says, regardless He was put on the FBI wanted list, then removed. Because of all of that, the conspiracy that he was an FBI agent has been gospel on the blogs and shows. Side note, this is why we have to address conspiracies, not ignore them. Hmm, uh, okay. So, Adam, why was he on the FBI January 6th most wanted list and removed months later? when media started talking about who he actually is. Oh, Kinzinger doesn't address that. Okay. Number four, Adam Kinzinger, rhino congressman from Illinois, says about Ray Epps, he didn't enter the Capitol on January 6th and was removed from the most wanted list because apparently he broke no laws. <laughs> apparently. Okay, Adam Kinzinger, how many people have been arrested by Biden's Justice Department for just being on the grounds and never going into the building? A lot. Because the Capitol grounds were no trespassing zone on January 6, 2021, but thousands of Trump supporters coming back from where Trump did the speech on the ellipse, would have no way of knowing there's no trespassing on the Capitol grounds that day. Why? Because Ray Epps and co-conspirators got rid of the barricades and the signs before the the speech, Trump's speech, was even over. What a maroon, to quote the great philosopher Bugs Bunny. So this guy is saying that 
he was removed from the most wanted list because apparently he broke no laws, ignoring the fact that hundreds of people who did not enter the Capitol that day were arrested for being on the Capitol grounds anyway. Then he goes on to say, I'm pretty sure the FBI wouldn't be dumb enough to put their own agent on a wanted list. <laughs> Why is that, Adam? Why is that? You think that everybody the FBI knows who all the agents or informants are? That's just silly. Then he says, Ray Epps has cooperated with the January 6th committee, and we thank him. Whoa! Whoa, you thank him? The guy who incited all those people to supposedly break the law by getting into the Capitol? This uh, Adam Kinzinger guy, he's not very bright. We, uh, uh, I probably shouldn't say this because I'll be arrested. Well, don't say it then. No, I'm going to say it. We've got to go into the Capitol tomorrow. Fed, Fed, Fed. That's the guy you think. The guy who's on video the next day leading the charge. Leading the charge against law enforcement to get into the Capitol. That's the guy you think. Adam Kinziger continues, on the broader issue, let's say Ray Epps was an agent. Parentheses, capital letters. He is not, close parentheses. The premise is that one agent can gin up a crowd to insurrection. That isn't saying much about the intelligence of your voters, is it, Ted? Talking about Ted Cruz. The rioters had formal education, owned businesses, etc. They knew. Okay, so wait. You're saying that one agent cannot gin up a crowd to insurrection, even if he's there on the grounds. But you and your Pelosi-led committee are going after Donald Trump, claiming he did the same thing. (laughs) They're not sending their best and brightest. I just, this Kinzinger guy is not that bright. He is, uh, He's stabbing the uh, January 6th commission in the heart. Metaphorically speaking, he's cutting the legs out from under their contention. See, the whole thing about the January 6th committee is they're trying to figure out a way to paint Trump as such a bad guy that they can find some excuse to keep him from running again. Anyway, Adam Kinzinger continues, an FBI informant is someone that is paid by or turned by law enforcement as they build broader cases. Informants are usually criminals that turn to save their own butt. An informant is not an agent, but Ted Cruz wants you to think it is. He says, Ray is no informant either. Number seven, he says, the narrative on January 6th has been that it's first Antifa or patriots who love their country, maybe crisis actors, definitely false flag operatives, or now FBI agents. Take your pick. Truth is, they were rioters incited by lies, and Ray Epps is no fed. 
just another misled man. He says, while it may break hearts, it's true. So many are misled by so few. Just look up. Okay, so uh, where's the transcript of the interview, Congressman? We're all ears. Where's the transcript to the interview with Ray Epps? The guy who insisted the people get into the Capitol the next day, the guy who led the charge on January 6th, and you're thanking him. For what? Uh, the great Bonchi over at Red State responds, sometimes it's best to just shut up. You realize you just undermined your entire case that Trump incited the riot by defending a guy who is on video inciting the riot, right? If direct incitement is an incitement and chargeable, then indirect rhetoric certainly isn't. Certainly isn't. So, um, it's just remarkable. It's just, the things that he has admitted. Now, a lot of interesting uh, responses here to this thread on Twitter. One guy says, why was Black Lives Matter Antifa plant John Sullivan, who promoted violence and was paid $70,000 by CNN and NBC, offered the opportunity to bail out after being detained less than 24 hours while others had their livelihoods destroyed or for misdemeanor parading? That's a good question. Now, remember, the FBI says they have no proof Antifa members dressed as Trump supporters and caused a Capitol riot, even though John Sullivan is on video doing exactly that. I mean, Kinzinger's thread makes a lot worse for his side and brings up a lot of questions. So another response, release all of these transcripts and the 14,000 hours of video footage. It'll heal the country with the truth. Thanks. Uh, so could Ray Epps be a Fed but not an FBI agent or informant. Is that possible? I think uh, I think it's entirely possible. Have you seen what Newsweek magazine put out the other day? Let me get that for you. Oh, and by the way, all these so-called investigative reporters on January 6th in the mainstream media, 
are all in on defending Ray Epps. Hat tip to uh, Julie Kelly on this. Same media complex that wants to help destroy the lives of January 6th trespassers are white knighting Ray Epps, and that is really something. That is really telling. I'll get to the Newsweek thing here in just a second, but Adam Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger is calling out uh, U.S. Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky and J.D. Vance, who's running for uh, Senate in Ohio. He says, hello, Thomas Massey and J.D. Vance. Simple question. Is Ray Epps a Fed? It's a huge accusation, so please just yes or no. Not interested in circular reasoning, just asking questions, etc. Just is Ray Epps a Fed? Let's get you on record, please. Well, again, where's the transcript? You're saying he's not. Based on what? So Thomas Massey responds, you claim an anonymous staffer citing an unreleased interview says he isn't, so case closed. But that wasn't my question to Attorney General Merrick Garland under oath. I asked how many feds were in the crowd and whether they encouraged people to enter the Capitol, and he refused to answer. He refused to answer. Deb Hine over the EpicTimes.com. Or is American Greatness? She's over in American Greatness. She says, I love the Democrats and never Trumpers have been forced into defending and even thanking Ray Epps, the so-called insurrectionist who repeatedly urged protesters to enter the Capitol. Okay, now, the Newsweek bombshell. The Newsweek bombshell. And I'll get to it by going through this. Adam Kinzinger tweets out the official statement from some spokesperson for the select January 6th committee of the U.S. House. And here's what it says. The, the select committee is aware of unsupported claims that Ray Epps was an FBI informant based on the fact that he was on the FBI wanted list and then was removed from that list without being charged. The select committee has interviewed Mr. Epps. Mr. Epps informed us that he was not employed by working with or acting at the direction of any law enforcement agency on January 5th or 6th or at any other time, and that he has never been an informant for the FBI or any other law enforcement agency. Oh, okay, well, let's just take his word for it. Now, the first response says, will they deny him working for any government agency or any U.S. ally? The term law enforcement is awfully narrow. Darren J. Beatty, the guy who's been breaking so much news about Ray Epps and the other instigators of January 6th and the federal setup over Revolver.News, says, Was Ray Epps under oath? What are his exact words? Is this denial consistent with, say, Ray Epps possibly working for Army counterintelligence? With him doing contract work, either formal or informal, with some Pentagon Joint Terrorism Task Force counter-intel equity? Aha. Aha. And this leads us to the Newsweek bombshell that came out last week. 
The great Julie Kelly reminds us, according to Newsweek, bombshell. The military also was involved in DOJ's shadowy commando operation before and during January 6th. And she links to the article entitled The Capitol Riot, The Road to January 6th, Exclusive Secret Commandos with Shoot to Kill Authority were at the Capitol. One of one of them was Ray Epps. It says, on Sunday, January 3rd, 2021, the heads of a half-dozen elite government special operation teams met in Quantico, Virginia, to go over potential threats, contingencies, and plans for the upcoming joint session of Congress. The meeting and the subsequent deployment of these shadowy commandos on January 6th has never before been revealed. Right after the new year, Jeffrey A. Rosen Acting Attorney General on January 6th approved implementation of long-standing contingency plans dealing with the most extreme possibilities, an attack on President Trump or Vice President Mike Pence, a terrorist attack involving a weapon of mass destruction, and a declaration of measures to implement continuity of government requiring protection and movement of presidential successors. Rosen made a unilateral decision to take the preparatory steps to deploy Justice Department and so-called national forces. There was no formal request from the U.S. Capitol Police, the Secret Service, or the Metropolitan Police Department. In fact, no external request from any agency. The leadership in the Justice Department, the FBI, anticipated the worst and decided to act independently, the special operations forces lurking behind the scenes. Rosen later told Congress, I believe that DOJ reasonably prepared for contingencies ahead of January 6th, understanding that there was considerable uncertainty as to how many people would arrive, who those people would be, and precisely what purposes they would pursue. He stressed that his department no frontline role with respect to crowd control, that they were focused on high-risk operations. The contingency units meeting on January 3rd included the FBI's hostage rescue team, the FBI's national render safe team, an FBI SWAT team from the Baltimore field office, special response teams from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF, and the U.S. Marshals Service Special Operations Group. All these assets were pre-deployed and ready to go over the weekend on January 2nd and 3rd, staging out of the FBI Academy Complex in Quantico, 30 miles south of the Capitol building. If a weapon of mass destruction or terrorist attack occurred, the units were to move via helicopter to the site of the incident. The activation of the catastrophic response units, operating under plans already approved by President Trump, entailed an automatic green light allowing federal, federal responders to take the initiative and spare no resources, including shoot-to-kill authority, to deal with this most extraordinary condition. The 350-strong hostage rescue team was established in 1983 to be a national-level counter-terrorist unit 
offering a tactical option, a military option, for the most extraordinary law enforcement situations within the United States. Prior to 9-11, the hostage rescue team was primarily a domestic counterterrorism unit. After the attack on 9-11, the team took on additional missions, including working with the Joint Special Operations Command overseas in high-profile raids and the targeting of high-value targets. Well, it goes on and on and on and on and on. But I don't understand why Newsweek magazine can have this scoop that there were federal agents, perhaps hundreds of undercover federal agents, military, at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. But Attorney General Merrick Garland can't confirm that. And nobody working for him can confirm that. Why is that? Why is that? You know... It's really, uh, I don't know if you're much of a student of history, but it really reminds one of the Reichstag fire. The Reichstag fire. Uh, a diversionary tactic by the Nazis. They want to uh, blame it on somebody else. Yeah, one guy here on Twitter says, if Ray Epps is who it appears he is, it is now 100% clear that January 6th was a staged Reichstag fire event by Democrats. This was a means to enable just like Hitler's Enabling Act, to enable their crackdown on those they disagree with. And again, again, the Attorney General of the United States and a lot of Democrats in Congress have been calling for cracking down on people that disagree with them politically. The great Jesse Kelly, talk show host out of... uh, Houston, Texas, had this thread on January 6th, less than a week ago, January 6th, 2022. He says, I'm not going to spend the day talking about the Reichstag fire the communists want me talking about. I'm going to spend the day talking about what they don't want me talking about. Remember the sham Mueller investigation? Remember when Antifa murdered a Trump supporter in the streets in Portland, Oregon. Remember when Joe Biden had 13 warriors standing outside a freaking airport in crowds and then some ISIS dirtbag blew them up? Joe Biden did that. Remember when they told you a bunch of right-wingers tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan? 
and it turned out it was just one big, gigantic FBI plot instead. Remember when Jake Gardner, bar owner in Omaha, Nebraska, was attacked by Black Lives Matter animals, and he defended himself and killed one, but then a communist tried to burn him for it anyway, and the Iraq veteran wound up committing suicide? Remember when uh, James T. Hodgkinson was so inspired by the rhetoric of Bernie Sanders that he picked up a weapon and tried to assassinate a bunch of Republican congressmen on a baseball field? Remember that? Remember when 14,000 Haitians amassed on our border and we woke up one day and they were gone and it turns out Joe Biden just let them all into the country? Remember that Joe Biden is so potentially compromised by the communist Chinese with hard evidence and witnesses to prove it that at no other point in history could he even get a security clearance? And Jesse Kelly links to the exclusive in the New York Post from Miranda Devine on November 28th. More money than God is the quote. Chinese titan lavished Hunter Biden with three-carat gem offer of $30 million, and you know he took it. You know he took it. Remember any of that? Because I remember. Remember when Daryl Brooks mowed down a bunch of white people in a Christmas parade after the media said the Rittenhouse verdict was about white supremacy? Daryl Brooks, he's got a picture of him on the left, happens to be black. Jackson Sparks on the right, he was eight years old. His family just had Christmas without him because he's one of the six murdered by this guy. Nobody wants to talk about that anymore, do they? The vehicular homicide of six people and uh, injuring of at least 50 other people by a Black Lives Matter activist, Daryl Brooks, who never should have been out of jail in the first place. A week or so before that, he had been given a $1,000 bond after he ran over the mother of his child. Jesse Kelly's thread on Twitter from January 6th continues, Remember when they shut down your business and closed the gyms across America because of coronavirus, but they kept the congressional gym open? Huh? Remember that? How about this? Remember when he calls her dome? I'm not sure why. Kamala Harris promoted a bail fund, and that bail fund freed George Thomas, and he promptly murdered someone. He's got the receipts. He has, he has the receipts. He links to the article from September 8th, 2021, New York Post by Joshua Rett Miller. Bail fund backed by Kamala Harris freed Minneapolis man charged with murder. Yep. Sure did. Sure did. So... 
they keep on insisting that January 6th is as bad or worse than 9-11 and the Civil War than whatever because they don't want you focusing on what they've really been doing to us as they continue to insist that small children wear masks and we continue to see the studies that IQs are dropping because small children have to take verbal cues from facial expressions on people and they're not allowed to do it. They're not allowed to do it. Um, so, uh, we have to thank people like Rand Paul standing up to Fauci yesterday. I mean, Fauci should be in prison. I mean, come on. I mean, let's, let's face it. Fauci should be in prison for all that he has done to all of us. Should be in prison. Now, coming up, coming up, I want to play you a clip of my buddy Dan Bongino who uh, is going to analyze what it means that the FBI is refusing to say whether any agents were involved in any violence or criminal activity on January 6th. This ought to be good. This ought to be good. I have uh, nothing but the utmost respect for Brother Bongino. He's a good guy. He's been a tremendous support and encouragement to me and I think a lot of other people who are in the position I was in. But first, I don't know if you try to buy a car recently or know somebody who has, but if you have, realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know personally, have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way. If you have any questions, Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you see that each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. When you click that button, it guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. 
All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, including including the freedom to buy online the way you want to. Red River Your Way, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live all over the continental U.S. RedRiverYourWay.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's uh, let's check and see what Brother Bongino has to say here about what the feds refused to address under oath yesterday when Ted Cruz was grilling them. All right, it's about two minutes long. Dan Bongino. Now, folks, this is one of those times where my prior experience helps um, kind of parse through what's going on here. You know, uh, I wasn't just an agent in the Secret Service. I was an instructor in our academy. And uh, conveniently, for the purposes of this segment, it's uh, not a self-praise moment. It's just a matter of establishing bona fides here. I taught the undercover class in the Secret Service Academy at the James J. Rowley Training Center. Yes, I taught it. I actually taught the class. And there are very strict prohibitions for federal agents from the FBI, DEA, Secret Service, doesn't matter, on what you can and can't do when engaged in undercover activity. One of those very strict prohibitions is on illegal activity. Folks, uh, if you are an undercover agent infiltrating the mob or a gang and the gang says, hey, uh, you know, Dan, we think you're an undercover agent. So we want you to whack a guy and kill him to prove you're not. Oh, OK. Let me do. You can't do that. Like, is that hard to figure out? Like, I, I don't think anyone except the liberals in the audience are like stunned by that. But you you can't do that. There are very strict prohibitions on, I can't believe we're even having this conversation, on undercover agents committing violent acts while undercover. Is this a surprise to anyone on the left? Now, my suggestion for the people on Capitol Hill, if you're listening on the great WMAL in D.C., I know we have listeners up there, is that you get the FBI right back up there as soon as you can. I know you don't have control of the committees right now, but do your best or submit a letter and cite the FBI's own manual which I am sure has strict prohibitions on the activities of undercover agents. And ask that FBI official, Jill Sanborn, if this is what the manual says about strict prohibitions on violent behavior, just like the Secret Service manual does, then why can't you just say we're complying with FBI procedures and no, we don't have any agents engaged in violent activity? Is this tough? It's, it's their own manual. Is this hard? Brilliant. Brilliant, because that's one of the questions yesterday she refused to answer. Did any federal agents commit crimes of violence on January 6, 2021? Now, folks, this is one of those. (laughs) Thank you, Brother Bongino. Thank you, Brother Bongino. Okay, now, Andrew Feinberg, 
who covers politics in Washington for the UK Independent, which is a very liberal paper, has a new article out entitled Adam Kinzinger Shoots Down Ted Cruz's January 6th Conspiracy Theory. And in tweeting out his new article, he says, They were rioters incited by lies. Kinzinger shoots down white nationalist January 6th theory promoted by Ted Cruz. And the great Julie Kelly says, okay, they're ratcheting it up. Now they say it's a white nationalist theory that a white guy was a government asset who stirred up a bunch of white people to overthrow a nearly all-white Congress to halt the election of another white guy. Genius. Just genius. And the first response, the first response from Mark Mendlevitz over there on Twitter says, whenever they call something a conspiracy theory, unfounded, or tell us there's no evidence, you know we're over the target. The egg is all over their faces. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. Again, again. Why? Let me put in the in the words that my buddy Party Man Randy put it over on Twitter. Have the media... The Democrats, the January 6th committee, defended a single person who was at the Capitol besides Ray Epps. Does anyone else find that just the slightest bit suspicious? Yeah. Yeah. They're going after Republican strategist Andrew Sarabian, who didn't even work for Trump and was in Georgia on January 6th. But they're thanking the guy who's on video encouraging people to storm the Capitol. Again, does this seem just the slightest bit suspicious to anyone else? I mean, yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. Let's see, we've got a, got a response over in the Podbean app from somebody saying, the Senate is political theater. If they were serious, they would be calling for a grand jury investigation where the people can be compelled to answer and do it in a red state, tired of the political show. It's little more than Nero fiddling while Rome burned. Yeah. Exactly what's going on. Exactly what's going on. Now, so again, the January 6th committee, out there on Twitter, says the select committee is aware of unsupported claims that Ray Epps was an FBI informant based on the fact that he was on the FBI wanted list and then was removed from that list without being charged. The committee has interviewed Epps. Epps informed us that he was not employed by working with or acting at the direction of any law enforcement agency on January 5th or 6th or at any other time, and that he has never been an informant for the FBI or any other law enforcement agency. Okay, was he under oath? Where's the transcript? But, 
There's a response. From Joseph D. McBride, attorney at law who's representing several January 6th defendants, and he says to the January 6th committee, you published these findings with full knowledge that Ray Epps was subpoenaed as a witness in a criminal trial. This is 100% witness tampering. You government officials are the true insurrectionists, disrupting an ongoing legal proceeding to stop the truth from being certified. Well, let that saute for a moment. Did you realize that Ray Epps has been had been su- subpoenaed as a witness at a criminal trial? Because that being the case, of course, this is a hundred percent witness tampering. The Uniparty in Washington, including everybody on the January 6th committee, including the two rhinos, they want Trump supporters to do long prison terms for being Trump supporters. Did you know the shaman guy, the guy that had the weird hat on with the, with the horns and uh, wore the furry vest, January 6th, didn't hurt a flea? He got 41 months for being inside the Capitol. 41 months. The first response to Attorney McBride is somebody saying, Representative Kinzinger has an entire thread posted on Twitter about Ray Epps' innocence, yet Attorney General Garland couldn't speak a word to Congress in a hearing. No one finds that odd. I find it extremely odd. And Attorney McBride says, I suppose Representative Kinzinger knows more than the DOJ and the FBI. How about that? How about that? Now, did you hear did you hear that Ashley Babbitt's murderer was cleared of criminal wrongdoing without even being interviewed. You hear about that? So uh, Paul Sperry over Real Clear Investigations has a story. When U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd went on the NBC Nightly News to tell his side of the shooting, and killing unarmed January 6th rioter Ashley Babbitt. He made a point to note he had been investigated by several agencies and exonerated for his actions that day. He told NBC News anchor Lester Holt in August, quote, there's an investigative process and I was cleared by the DOJ and FBI and D.C. Metropolitan Police, unquote. He added the Capitol Police also cleared him of wrongdoing and decided not to discipline or demote him for the shooting. Lieutenant Byrd then answered a series of questions by Holt about the shooting, but what he told the friendly journalist he likely never told investigators, and that's because 
He refused to answer their questions, according to several sources and documents reviewed by Real Clear Investigations. In fact, investigators cleared Lieutenant Byrd of wrongdoing in the shooting without actually interviewing him about the shooting or threatening him with punishment if he did not cooperate with their criminal investigation. Family attorney for the Babbitt family, Terry Roberts, said in an interview with Real Clear Investigations, quote, he didn't provide any statement to criminal investigators and they didn't push him to make a statement. It's astonishing how skimpy his investigated file is. Unquote. Did you know this? So Terry Roberts, the attorney family, pardon me, the family attorney for the uh, family of the deceased Ashley Babbitt, who has spoken with a D.C. Metropolitan Police Department detective assigned to the case, said the kid glove treatment of Bird raises suspicions the investigation was a whitewash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The lawyer's account appears to be backed up by a January 2021 internal affairs report, which notes that Lieutenant Byrd, quote, declined to provide a statement, unquote. And that is exactly what the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department documents show. When asked about it, a D.C. Metropolitan Police Department spokeswoman confirmed that Michael Byrd did not cooperate with internal affairs agents or FBI agents who jointly investigated what was one of the most high-profile officer-involved shooting cases in U.S. history. Um, Deputy D.C. Metropolitan Police Department Communications Director Kristen Metzger said, quote, MPD did not formally interview Lieutenant Byrd. He didn't give a statement while under the U.S. Attorney's Office investigation, unquote. Uh, so what are we supposed to do with that? Now there's more. After Byrd declined to cooperate with the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department Internal Affairs Division's investigation, which was led by Detective John Hendrick, his case eventually was turned over to the U.S. Capitol Police for a final administrative review of whether or not his actions conformed with department policies and training. Still, still, U.S. Capitol Police concluded in August, quote, the officer's conduct was lawful and within department policy, unquote. The agency launched its administrative investigation after the criminal investigation was closed. In April, within four months of the shooting, Byrd was cleared of 
criminal wrongdoing by the Justice Department, which declined to impanel a grand jury to hear evidence and a departure from other lethal police shooting cases involving unarmed citizens. Justice Department ruled there was not enough evidence to conclude Michael Byrd violated Ashley Babbitt's civil rights or willfully acted recklessly in shooting her. Michael Byrd remains the commander in charge of security for the House of Representatives. Neither the FBI nor the Justice Department would comment on whether they pressed Byrd after he insisted on remaining silent the D.C. police force, which shares some jurisdiction with the Capitol Police, takes the lead in internal affairs probes like this one. Attorney Roberts questioned how investigators could find that Byrd acted in self-defense and properly followed his training procedures, including issuing warnings before shooting Babbitt, since he refused to talk about it while the investigation was open, and his statements, unlike those made to NBC, would have been taken under penalty of perjury. So this Roberts guy, the attorney for the Babbitt family, says, how would they know if they never interviewed him? He added that it's not enough to say an officer did nothing wrong without showing how it reached such a finding. By avoiding an interrogation, he said Byrd avoided saying anything that could have been used to incriminate him, including making false statements to federal agents which would be a felony. Remarkably, he did not formally invoke his Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. According to people familiar with the case, which makes the reluctance of authorities to lean on him or sanction him for not cooperating all the more puzzling. By law, federal agencies can use leverage short of termination, such as an unwelcome duty assignment pardon me, an unwelcome duty reassignment to persuade employees to cooperate with investigators. Michael Byrd was put on paid administrative leave during the investigative process. Byrd waited to speak publicly until after his statements could no longer be used against him in a criminal probe. The heavily promoted NBC exclusive told only his account of what happened with no opposing viewpoints. Michael Byrd said, I believe I showed the utmost courage on January 6th. In defending his actions, Byrd told Lester Holt things he evidently wouldn't tell investigators, including his claim that he shot as a last resort and only after warning Babbitt to stop. However, documents uncovered by Judicial Watch revealed that eyewitnesses, including three police officers at the scene, told investigators they did not hear hear Byrd give Babbitt any verbal warnings prior to firing, contradicting what Michael Byrd told Lester Holt on NBC. The Babbitt family has maintained that the rushed investigation amounted to a cover-up of misconduct by the officer. It says the federal probe was conducted under political pressure, arguing that Michael Byrd was not put through the normal rigors of a police shooting investigation to avoid making a martyr of Ashley Babbitt, an avid Donald Trump supporter. An Air Force veteran from California, Ashley Babbitt, died while wearing a Trump flag as a cape. The former president has demanded the Justice Department investigate her death. U.S. Representative Troy Nels of Texas, a former sheriff, argued Ashley Babbitt's shooting 
should have been presented to a federal grand jury. Congressman Nels, Republican lawmaker, told the U.S. attorney who led the probe for the Justice Department in a recent letter, the case was mishandled from the very beginning. In a separate letter to the Capitol Police chief, Nels wrote, Many officers in the U.S. Capitol Police I've spoken to believe the investigation of Lieutenant Byrd, the investigations, plural, of Lieutenant Byrd, were dropped because of his position and other political considerations. Now, some use of force experts are skeptical that Byrd did the right thing even after watching his largely sympathetic NBC interview. Police consultant and criminologist Jeffrey Alpert, Jeff Noble, and Seth Stoughton said in a recent article in Lawfare, quote, the limited public information that exists raises serious questions about the propriety of Byrd's decision to shoot, especially with regard to the assessment that Babbitt was an imminent threat. We have serious reservations about the propriety of the shooting. They said they doubted Byrd's claims that he reasonably believed Babbitt was posing a threat and had the ability and intention to kill or seriously injure Byrd or other officers or lawmakers and therefore had to be stopped with lethal force. They noted that he admitted to Holt that he never actually saw Babbitt, who stood five foot two and weighed 110 pounds, brandish a weapon. So, Ashley Babbitt was shot by Michael Byrd over a year ago when she and other pro-Trump rioters breached the Capitol amid efforts to stop Congress from certifying the state results of the 2020 election of Joe Biden. They sought to pressure then-Vice President Mike Pence to reject electors from Arizona and some other states where narrow results were challenged by Trump and his lawyers over allegations of voter fraud and other election irregularities. Attorney Roberts and the Babbitt family are preparing to sue Michael Byrd and the Capitol Police in a wrongful death claim seeking at least $10 million in damages. Asked why his client chose not to go on the record and cooperate with investigators, Michael Byrd's attorney, Mark Schammel, declined to comment. See, in an earlier interview, Schammel maintained the shooting was justified and that there is no basis for a civil case against his client. Well, he would, wouldn't he? He's being paid. wonder by whom. The federal investigation of the lethal shooting was marked by secrecy and other irregularities. Unlike other officers involved in fatal shootings of unarmed civilians, Michael Byrd was long shielded from public scrutiny after shooting Ashley Babbitt as she tried to climb through a broken window of a barricaded door of the Capitol. For eight months, D.C. police officials withheld Michael Byrd's identity, first revealed by Real Clear Investigations, and they have not released a formal review of the shooting or the 28-year veteran's disciplinary records. Nor did the Capitol Police hold a briefing on Babbitt's death. Records uncovered by Judicial Watch reveal authorities ordered her body cremated two days after the shooting without her husband's permission. Meanwhile, the feds have thrown the book as suspected January 6th rioters publicly identifying them on a Justice Department website and are still engaged in a national manhunt for suspects. More than 725 defendants 
have been charged mostly for relatively minor offenses ranging from trespassing to disorderly conduct. So far, the select House committee set up to investigate the January 6th siege at the Capitol has not explored the most lethal violence that occurred that day. Michael Byrd was responsible for the only shot fired during the riot. All other armed officers showed restraint. And Ashley Babbitt was the only person directly killed on that day. Oh, I don't know about that, Paul Sperry. What about uh, Roseanne Boyland? Anyway, he says, like the other rioters, she carried no firearm. No guns were recovered from the Capitol. Committee Chairman... Benny Tom, wait, 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 wait. All other armed officers showed restraint? What about the officers that were beating people in the uh, the tunnel of the West Terrace? Anyway. Committee Chairman Benny Thompson, Democrat, Mississippi, has pledged to, quote, investigate fully the facts and circumstances of these events, unquote. Asked if the police shooting is on the agenda for public hearings planned for the winter or whether it will be addressed in a final report, Scheduled for release before November's congressional elections, a committee spokesman declined comment. Trump and GOP leaders have accused the panel, which is composed of seven Democrats and only two Republicans, of trying to damage pro-Trump Republicans ahead of the midterms by claiming they helped orchestrate an, a so-called insurrection and continue to pose a threat to democracy. Now, unlike a criminal investigation, there is no right to remain silent in a civil case. Wrongful death litigation claiming negligence may hinge on whether Michael Byrd warned Ashley Babbitt before opening fire on her. Babbitt family attorney Roberts said Ashley Babbitt, former military police officer who served tours in both Iraq and Afghanistan, would have complied with commands to stop and peacefully surrendered had Byrd or other Capitol officers attempted to arrest her. But he said additional eyewitnesses he's interviewed say Michael Byrd never gave her such verbal commands. He said Ashley Babbitt wasn't even aware that the officer was nearby because he was positioned in a doorway of a room off to the side of the speaker's lobby doors. Byrd, whose mouth was covered with a surgical mask, took aim outside her field of vision and fired as her head emerged through the window. Roberts compared her shooting to an execution. He said killing her... By shooting her at point-blank range was completely unnecessary. This alone renders the the shooting legally unjustified. Roberts also pointed out Bird had mishandled his firearm in the past. He was subject of a previous internal investigation for leaving his loaded service pistol in a Capitol restroom. It's not clear if he was disciplined. At the time, the lieutenant reportedly told officers he would not be punished due to his high rank, which he kept despite the incident. But in the NBC interview, he said he was penalized for the 2019 misstep without elaborating. A U.S. Capitol Police spokeswoman declined to respond to multiple repeated requests for information about any disciplined administrator for his misconduct. Michael Byrd could not be reached for comment, but in the NBC interview, he denied receiving special treatment. He said, quote, of course not, no way, unquote. Well, why of course not? Why, of course not. Before filing a lawsuit naming a federal agency, 
Attorney Roberts has to send a formal complaint for a claim for damage, injury, or death, known as a federal form SF-95, to U.S. Capitol Police and wait for a response. He sent the notice in May and is still waiting for the Capitol Police to reply. How many months later? Eight months later? U.S. Capitol Police General Counsel Tad DiBiase confirmed to Real Clear in Investigations in an email, quote, we have received the SF-95 from Ms. Babbitt's family attorney, unquote. He declined to say how the department plans to respond. He said, I cannot comment on that. In the meantime, Attorney Roberts said he is interviewing witnesses and also building a case from documents acquired through the federal through the Freedom of Information Act, Federal Freedom of Information Act. He says, I'm still reviewing records obtained in FOIA action, and there are more coming. I am in no rush. What does that tell you? Okay, first of all, have you seen the video of Michael Byrd shooting Ashley Babbitt? Have you seen that? Isn't it obvious there are no warnings? Isn't it obvious that he's shooting her from her blind side, point blank? So what does it tell you that the police didn't even interview her murderer? What does that tell you? Tells me the fix is in. Tells me the fix is in. Okay, somebody says, I saw a lot of videos of her getting shot that day. Who knows if you can find the videos now? Well, you can. You can. And um, when I saw Nick Searcy's movie, I saw a video of her being shot from a completely different angle than I had seen before. And so that's... uh, that was shocking to me. So the website is www.capitalpunishmentthemovie.com. I highly recommend it. You'll see stuff you've never seen before. And that's on the for reals. Oh. Article over in American Greatness. Conrad Black takes it to Andy McCarthy, Britt Hume, and Peggy Noonan for pretending irregularities in 2020 presidential election didn't exist. Big hat hat tip to uh, Dana French over on Twitter for uh, linking to that. We'll get to it in just a second. Look, um, I think if you're within the sound of my voice, you know that the feds a lot of times are up to no good. The feds a lot of times are doing things to the detriment of our lifestyles, of our health. I mean, go no further than 2009, Nancy Pelosi, Obamacare. Well, we're just going to have to pass it. So 
so you can find it what's in it. All right, so are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answer yes to any of those questions, you need to call my friend, Art Wilborn. Call him. If you're in Central Arkansas, you call at 501-837-2866. But it's a lot easier to just go to the website. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see the big, bold letters, Affordable Plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. I mean, what a deal, right? There's a button that says Schedule Call Now. You click on that button. You can book a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. And he will also make sure that unlike some of those Obamacare plans, you get an insurance plan that doesn't force you to cover stuff like abortion that would deeply betray your deeply held religious beliefs. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays, Book your free consultation with Art Wilborn, and he will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. All right, now, did you hear? Did you hear what Joe Biden said yesterday about the current state? of voting laws in Georgia and how effortlessly the lies just roll off his tongue. Longer lines at the polls. Lines that can last for hours. You've seen it with your own eyes. People get tired. They get hungry. When the Bible teaches us to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty, the new Georgia law actually makes it illegal Think of this. I mean, 2020, and now 22, going into that election, it makes it illegal to bring your neighbors, your fellow voters, food or water while they wait in line to vote. What in the hell heck are we talking about? And they just lap it up like sheep. Unbelievable. Uh, speaking of bringing your uh, neighbor some water. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I was going to get some more water in my Yeti. Uh, pulling back the curtain here on a regular basis when I do the show. I always have a uh, Yeti, which was given to me by my friend's Dr. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Crabtree, at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. Some years ago, I always put a lot of ice water in that. It's it's always good to be able to wet your whistle when you are uh, doing the show, as it were. 
Uh, speaking of Arkansas Cervical Center, uh, they are keepers of the best kept secret in American healthcare, and they're trying to get the word out. And the word is going out all over the country. The best kept secret in American healthcare. Let me tell you. Do you have migraines? Do you have neck pain? Do you have back pain? Do you have vertigo? Do you have sinus issues? Do you have issues with your blood sugar even? Okay, now look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a photograph of yourself. Do you naturally tilt your head to the left or the right because that's how you feel most comfortable? I was watching a uh, Senate hearing yesterday, and there was one of the senators, Senator Richard Burr, who instead of sitting up straight to ask his questions, was leaned way, way over. Like his body was going one way and his head was going the other way. And he didn't seem to think, now why am I... Why am I sitting here like this? Why can't I sit up straight? Why do I have to lean way over like this to try to feel comfortable? Because it's not its not normal. Do you ever notice that kind of thing? Somebody on television, instead of sitting up straight or standing up straight, they're leaning way over to one side or the other. And Richard Burr, United States Senator from North Carolina, is a wealthy man. I'm sure if he realized there was a problem and knew what to do about it, he would. But again, we're talking about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Let me tell you how it works. And again, if you're leaning way over one way or the other, or your eyes are off balance, your shoulders are off balance, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, my neck pain, my back pain. Tell you how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or the C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your circulatory system, your reproductive system, and yes, even your digestive system. And yes, it could cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, blood sugar issues, all kinds of stuff. Do yourself a favor. There are two different ways to go. If you're in central Arkansas, it would behoove you to call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. Or, if you're outside Central Arkansas, because we have listeners from all 50 states, go to the website, turnmypoweron.com, Click on the tab that says, find a doctor to see if you can find one close to you. 
Again, the website is TurnMyPowerOn.com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. All right. Let's check this uh, article here from Conrad Black over at American Greatness. Not very long. It's entitled The Sinking Ship of the Democratic Media Alliance. Subtitle, The Democrat Media Alliance gambled everything in 2020, but in corrupting democracy in the name of protecting the country from an enemy of democracy, they tied themselves to a sinking ship. He says, Almost no one seems to grasp the colossal irony of the current American political condition. The unique quality of it is that the country is divided between two political forces, which in the tedious hyperbole of contemporary political jargon, view each other as an existential threat to democracy. The Democrats can't sell the bunk that January 6th was an insurrection. They can't wish away concerns about the integrity of the 2020 election. All they have is a tired claim that Trump is a threat to democracy, and in their advocacy of that falsehood, they have made themselves the threat to democracy. Trump emerged politically in 2015 to universal mockery. Nothing could have been more certain than that this vulgar and sleazy huckster, as he was portrayed, not without some reason, would bomb out trying to recalibrate his down-market celebrity brand to catapult him into the White House. So as Trump cleaned up in the 2016 Republican primaries, the Democrat strategists reached to the bottom of their campaign bag of tricks. Late in the campaign came the 11-year-old Billy Bush tape in which Trump had made some inelegant locker room macho comments about how a celebrity could take almost unlimited unlimited liberties with women. This failed to kill him. It was stale, dated, and not exactly a startling revelation for Donald Trump. Next, the Democrats produced a pastiche of lies and defamations collected by a former British intelligence officer that with the illegal collaboration of the senior intelligence agencies in the FBI was leaked to the media as the fruit of an intelligence investigation and thus did not require journalistic corroboration. Despite fervent attempts to get this story out, it had only just broken the surface when Trump won the election. The Democrats then instantly switched from inevitable Clinton victory mode to impeachment mode and fastened the lead weight of the completely fabricated Trump-Russia election-fixing collusion fraud around Trump's ankle. When Trump announced that the Obama administration had been tapping his campaign telephones, the media thunderously declared that he had no proof. Yet when the proof eventually emerged, they had moved on the first of the phony impeachments over an unexceptionable phone call to the president of Ukraine. Finally, COVID enabled a mighty smear job of Trump as anti-science had forced an economic and academic shutdown that allowed the hostile media to blame him for the resulting recession. Although Trump had a successful administration practically eliminating illegal immigration, unemployment, and oil imports, shaping up the Western alliance and deterring China, North Korea, and Iran 
from the endless provocations they had inflicted on previous presidents, it was impossible for him to defend himself against conditions created by the COVID pandemic and magnified by the Trump-hating media. For good measure, the Democrats seized the opportunity created by the pandemic to alter elections and vote-counting laws in the six swing states they focused on. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. In an election of 156 million voters and more than 40 million harvested ballots, in other words, those of unverifiable validity and cast by people other than those to whom the votes ostensibly belonged, where a shift of 46,000 votes in Pennsylvania and any two of Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin would have flipped the election to Trump in the Electoral College, 2020 takes its place along with the highly contested contests of 1876, Hayes-Tilden, 1960, Kennedy-Nixon, and 2000, George W. Bush and Al Gore. He says, it's not clear who really won Hayes and Tilden worked out a deal. Nixon declined Eisenhower's urging to challenge the 1960 election as he thought it would be bad for the country, for which he has received no credit from all the authors and beneficiaries of the vast Kennedy mythos. Al Gore, at least, received a rushed day in court. Yet the judicial system abdicated in 2020, and the Supreme Court declined to hear the claim of the Attorney General of Texas, supported by 18 other states, against the six swing states that they have violated the constitutional duty to ensure a fair election. None of the issues involving the integrity of the election on constitutional grounds was tried in co- on the merits. Let me try that one again. I stumbled. Sorry. None of the issues involving the integrity of the election on, on constitutional grounds was tried on the merits. And Trump and his followers a right in their anger at not having received a serious judicial hearing. After the 95% anti-Trump national political media conducted Joe Biden's campaign for him as he hid from the pandemic, the oligarchic social media platform cartel canceled and banished Trump and the New York Post from their platforms. Trump's opponents outspent him 2 to 1, including $419 million from Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, practically all of which went to Democrat precincts. And Trump's opponents also scanned the polls in several of the swing states. Democrats and anti-Trump Republicans achieved a Pyrrhic electoral victory. Their only argument for the last six years has been vilification of Trump, and the only fragment of that tired screed that still resonates at all is that Trump is a gangster and a putschist. I guess guess that means a Putin supporter who revealed his tendencies with a supposed insurrection of the Capitol on January 6th. In the circumstances, Trump was restrained. The last thing he wanted was vandalism of the Capitol by anyone claiming to support him. The Democrats, along with America and the world, are now stuck with the most incompetent administration in the country's history. Biden clearly lacks the mental injury. Nah. Biden clearly lacks the mental energy required of such a challenging position, and Kamala Harris seems simply to be a moron. None of their policies attract majority support from the country, and their great COVID ally of 2020 is now an albatross around their necks. Inflation is eating the incomes of the middle and working classes. 
The southern U.S. border is open not only to millions of destitute people, but to a large number of serious undesirables who are flooding in. China, Russia, Iran are all exploiting American weakness, and the departure from Afghanistan was the greatest military fiasco in U.S. history. Consequently, Democrat leaders in the Congress have effectively given up getting the grossly unfeasible Build Back Better giveaway through. And they're now pushing their only re-election hope, the Freedom to Vote and John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Acts. These measures would make it difficult to update voting rolls, would ban highly popular voter ID rules, expand mail-in balloting, restrict efforts to validate signatures, and promote ballot harvesting. When taken with the Democrat effort to admit as many people as possible to the United States and permit them to vote without the irritating bourgeois formality of first becoming citizens, this is a recipe for ensuring Democrats and lookalike Republicans never again suffer the embarrassment they did in 2016 of actually losing an election to a conservative opponent. And all of their antics, from the Trump-Russia collusion nonsense through the very questionable election and now the effort to impose a durable theft of an election of an electoral advantage implausibly disguised as protecting African-American voting rights, the Democrats have forced Republicans to denounce the Democrats as the real threat to democracy. The national political media, complicit as they are in the Russia hoax and other anti-Trump frauds, have confirmed their embrace of the Democrats, come what may. They're staring down the barrel of a Trump return in 2024, either personally or through a candidate he endorses in varying states of denial. The distinguished Brit Hume over at Fox News, not apparently a Trump hater, still claims Trump has no legitimate complaint over the 2020 election. He knows better. Peggy Noonan, otherwise the most gracious of women, who's written for the Wall Street Journal for many years, writes viciously about Trump while still giving this waxworks effigy of a president advice on how to become a more effective orator. Talking about the waxworks effigy of a president, a dementia Joe, of course. Andrew McCarthy, an outstanding legal scholar and former prosecutor and quasi-Trump hater, took the Russian bunk much too seriously and is now reduced to acknowledging that Trump had just complaints about the COVID-related voting regulation changes, but that they may have been legal. Now, if they facilitated a materially tainted election result, very likely McCarthy knows as well as anyone that the Democrat Democrat vote rigging daring do in the swing states was not legal. So, the Democrat media have been exposed as morally bankrupt in their rabid partisanship and dishonesty. The Democrat Media Alliance gabbled everything on 2020 but in corrupting democracy in the name of protecting the country from the enemy of democracy and in inflicting upon America an almost totally incompetent administration. The Democrats and their media allies tied themselves to a sinking ship. It couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of folks, I think. Conrad Black wraps up his article saying, Donald Trump has many failings, but he's no threat to democracy. The elites have failed. The bipartisan political class, 
the cowardly big business leaders, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, professional sports, almost all the political media and the academy all have failed miserably. This is now a war to the political death. And the Democrats have had their great feast of Belshazzar. And they will soon learn that they have, quote, been weighed in the balance and have been found wanting, unquote, by the people. Many, many Tekelofarsen, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Oh, my. Straight out of the Old Testament. That's Conrad Black, uh, Conrad Black over to amgreatness.com, article entitled The Sinking Ship of the Democrat Media Alliance. And I just felt that uh, I should share that with you. Because sometimes you don't get another opportunity. You you forget all about it. Life moves on. The news cycle, etc., etc. So, I think uh, I think at this point it's probably best that I share with you some. Uh, some Julie Kelly contributions over at amgreatness.com. She came out with this one a couple of days ago, the likely cause of the media blackout on imploding Whitmer kidnapping plot. And if you're like, Whitmer? Who's Whitmer? Okay, Whitmer Whitmer is the uh, governor of Michigan. Governor of Michigan. Here's what Julie Kelly says in American Greatness. Once upon a time in America, a high-profile federal prosecution imploding amid credible accusations of FBI entrapment would earn wall-to-wall headlines in the national news media. A wife-beating FBI agent who used at least one criminal informant and a dozen more government assets to concoct a plot to abduct a sitting governor intended to create damage, damaging headlines for an incumbent president right before Election Day would receive nonstop coverage on cable and broadcast news outlets. Social media will be flooded with all the juicy details. Names like Richard Trask and Stephen Robeson will be household names. But none of that is happening with the Justice Department's rapidly crumbling case against several men arrested for allegedly conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer from her vacation cottage in the fall of 2020. Defense attorneys have made a strong case that without the FBI's guiding hand and deep pockets, courtesy of American taxpayers, the scheme never would have materialized past random social media chatter. Five defense attorneys wrote in a December 25th motion, one of several Defense filings that details proof of an elaborate FBI operation to lure their clients into the abduction caper. Quote, the undisputed evidence establishes that government agents and informants concocted, hatched, and pushed the kidnapping plan from the beginning, doing so against defendants who explicitly repudiated the plan, unquote. And the bad actors in the government script keep finding themselves in more trouble. So, Richard Trask, the lead FBI agent on the case, was fired for physically assaulting his wife in a drunken rage following a swinger party last summer. 
Body camera footage made public last month shows a shirtless and clearly inebriated Richard Trask being arrested by local police. He was not charged with driving under the influence. A Michigan news station recently unearthed Trask's Trump-hating rants posted on social media in 2020. Trask wrote on Facebook at the same time he was supposedly investigating threats against Governor Whitmer, quote, if you still support our piece of blank president, you can F off. Trask said he hoped that Trask said he hoped people who supported Trump would burn in hell. Two other FBI agents working with Trask at the Detroit FBI field office who handled multiple informants also have been dismissed from the case. FBI agent Jason Chambers is accused of running a security business on the side, and FBI agent Henrik Impola is accused of committing perjury in another case. Justice Department just notified the, the court that Trask, Chambers, and Impola are no longer on the government's witness list. And just when it looked like things couldn't get worse for prosecutors, Stephen Robeson, a main informant and convicted felon, has been charged with committing two other crimes while directing the Whitner the Whitmer kidnapping ruse. Prosecutors last week accused Robeson of acting as a double agent. Prosecutors said Robeson, quote, broke an agreement with the FBI by offering charity money to buy weapons to be used in attacks, illegally obtained weapons, and offered personal equipment, including a drone, to add in committing domestic terrorism, unquote. Well, this guy sounds like a stellar uh, member of the community, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Julie Kelly says not only is Robeson off the government's witness list, but the Justice Department is fighting to stop defense attorneys from presenting damning evidence of Robeson's involvement during the trial scheduled to begin in March. All of this salacious drama should be front-page news. After all, when the Justice Department announced kidnapping charges in a press release October 8, 2020, it was a bonanza for the corporate media right before Election Day. The shocking news resulted in widespread condemnation condemnation of Donald Trump, blamed once again for promoting violence against his political opponents and emboldening so-called militia groups loyal to him. Whitmer made an emotional statement the day the charges were announced, accusing Trump of encouraging so-called domestic terrorists who tried to kill her. Joe Biden quickly seizing on the politically advantageous moment, blasted Trump's dog whistles to violent extremists. Dozens of articles and columns were posted in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Politico, and other influential publications in a matter of hours. Two political reporters predicted a thwarted plot could thwart Trump. Mary McCord, former Obama Justice Department official and perpetual Trump antagonist, had a New York Times column ready to go on the very same day her former employer publicly revealed the plot. McCord now is uh, advising the January 6th Select Committee. Okay, of course, of course. The Washington Post published a guest column by Gretchen Whitner herself October 9th repeating her allegations that Trump was responsible. In fact, Governor Whitmer made the media rounds for days, conveniently playing the victim to Trump's villain as early voting was underway in her swing state. 
NBC's Meet the Press, Governor Whitmer complained, quote, It's incredibly disturbing that the President of the United States, 10 days after a plot to kidnap, put me on trial and execute me, 10 days after that was uncovered, the President is at it again, inspiring, incentivizing, and inciting this kind of domestic terrorism. Okay, now wait a minute. He didn't incite anything, clearly. And also, what's what's up with the First Amendment right to free speech? CNN ran numerous articles about the thwarted plot. Jake Tapper confronted both Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, a Republican, and Laura Trump with accusations that the president was responsible for the alleged attack. Jake Tapper asked Laura Trump on October 18th, why does he continue to use such heightened rhetoric at a time when her life was literally in danger, according to the FBI? Now, Julie Kelly says, considering all the histrionics and allegations that Trump incited a potential domestic terror attack, attempted murder even, it seems these same journalists would eagerly cover all the evidence emerging, emerging in the case ahead of the March 8th trial. But the Whitmer kidnapping plot hasn't just been memory hole by the national media. It faces what one could only assume is a coordinated and intentional news blackout. Jake Tapper, a copious tweeter, has not tweeted anything about the Whitmer kidnapping plot, the ruse, since October of 2020. CNN, the Washington Post, New York Times, and Politico haven't published any news about the Whitmer case in months. MSNBC aired one interview last month on recent defense motions to dismiss the case on grounds of entrapment, former prosecutor Joyce Vance opined that there is a zero chance a Michigan judge will drop the federal charges. Now, last time the New York Times printed Richard Trask's name was in October 2020 after he testified that rogue militia groups were involved in the kidnapping plot. Ditto for October 2020 mentions in Politico and CNN. Trash's name is dying in darkness over the Washington Post, which has never published his name in any Whitmer-related article. Apparently, a federal cop who nearly strangled his wife to death after a swinger party then received a slap on the wrist sentence for the assault is of no interest to the otherwise man and cop-loathing reporters and columnists at the nation's most influential news organization, New York Times. To its credit, BuzzFeed's the only outlet on the left that has relentlessly covered the government's imploding prosecution. BuzzFeed reporters Ken Bensinger and Jessica, Jessica Garrison have produced a string of detailed investigative reports worthy of awards despite an obvious political slant. So why the media blackout on the Governor Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case from October of 2020? She says, the reason for the blackout is because the news media know that any coverage of the FBI concocted plot to supposedly kidnap Gretchen Whitmer will bolster suspicions that the FBI played a key, if not primary role, in the events leading up to and including January 6th. After all, the Justice Department continually ties the two events together, right? Describing both as acts of domestic terror and blaming former President Trump for both, right? The head of the Detroit FBI field office, by the way, was promoted to the Washington, D.C. field office one week after the Whitmer kidnapping secrets. Pardon me. 
one week after the Whitmer kidnapping arrests were announced in October 2020. Stephen D'Antuono, now in charge of the same office that deployed agents to Capitol Grounds on January 6th and is aiding the prosecution of more than 700 Americans arrested for participating in the protest. It's impossible to report on the Whitmer case without connecting it to January 6th, so rather than do its job, the national news media is completely ignoring this sensational story. Too many so-called insurrections to smear and destroy, apparently. Wow. She still got it. Julie Kelly, article entitled, The The Likely Cause of the Media Blackout on Imploding Gretchen Whitmer Kidnapping Plot. And the article is over at uh, amgreatness.com, amgreatness.com. So, uh... (laughs) I played you the audio yesterday of Ted Cruz grilling a high-ranking official in the FBI and a high-ranking official from the DOJ who just couldn't answer any questions about Ray Epps or other possible federal agents. That were at the Capitol on January 6th. You know who Scott Adams is? The cartoonist that has drawn the Dilbert comic strip, probably the best comic strip in the history of the world for so many years. Well, Scott Adams is on Twitter. And he retweeted this C-SPAN video of Ted Cruz just hammering these people who wouldn't answer about Ray S., wouldn't answer about federal agents of the January 6th Capitol. And Scott Adams says, the most reasonable interpretation of this exchange is that it is an FBI confession of inciting the January 6th crowd to violence. Only citizens are innocent until proven guilty. When a government hides information from the people from the public like this, the appropriate assumption is guilt. Now, I've never thought about that until I saw a few days ago where Scott Adams had posted something very similar on Twitter. People, including people who have been arrested, under our system of justice, our judicial system, are supposed to be presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law, right? So it's one thing to say a person is presumed innocent, but Scott Adams points out the same... um, the same scale does not apply to governments. There's no reason in the world for us to assume that a government is innocent until proven guilty. Nope. Nope. Now, Red State has an article. You're going to want to sit down for the latest inflation numbers if you had not heard about this today yet it's um, it's not good news okay Bonchi over at Red State says every month the inflation numbers are released and every month I'm stuck trying to think of some new headline 
that expresses the escalation of disaster that those numbers represent. The 5% inflation we saw during the summer seems almost quaint now, and while last month 6.8% was horrific, the Biden administration has now managed to finally top themselves. December's inflation numbers are out and are sitting at a whopping 7% year over year. With the higher ex, ex, with the higher increases in several areas that are key to middle class families, that's the highest number since 1982. This goodness sakes, the highest inflation we've seen in over 39 years. Bonchi Red State continues most meat products, i.e., probably the most common thing bought by all Americans are up over 10%. Gas continues to remain stubbornly high after a slight dip and nearly a 50% increase on what gas prices were under Trump. If you're needing a used car to get to work, you're going to pay 37% more for it than a year ago. These numbers are simply insane and incredibly harmful. They're also rage-inducing. They're also rage-inducing for those who finally felt like They were getting ahead, but are now watching their savings and bank account dwindle away while getting nothing extra in return. There is no more direct a tax increase on Americans than out-of-control inflation. You can't deduct, and it can't be avoided. Worse, there's no easy way out of what the Democrats' ridiculous spending plans have wrought. There's stimulus checks and debt-busting relief spending, didn't create the job boom they promised, but they did paint the nation into a corner. All that can be done now is to raise interest rates, which will slow inflation, but will also slow investment and crush people's retirements. There are no good options left because the man in the White House is an absolute dolt who's in way over his head. Furthermore, instead of staunching the bleeding, Democrats are now proposing even more spending under the guise of the emergency posed by the Omicron COVID-19 wave. In the face of crushing inflation, they aren't willing to do what's necessary to help normal people. Instead, they're going full speed ahead into the buzzsaw, and you get to pay the hospital bill. Lastly, it should be mentioned that the Biden administration actually changed the calculation for inflation. In other words, it's likely that 7% number is watered down, making the comparison to 1982 apples to oranges. That's how bad things are. He says, I'm not an investment strategist, but if you've got a lot of money sitting in the bank or stock market, you should probably go speak to one. It might be time to diversify and move some of that into real estate or, or other assets because things are only going to get worse over the next year. Indeed, they are. And that is intentional. That is on purpose. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. All right, you know what? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, a big old car dealership in the middle of USA that believes in freedom, including 
your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online. Do the whole thing online and have your new vehicle delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States. Red River tweet of the day. Now, this is a guy from a guy named Alex Shepard. Alex Shepard. And he says, if Ray Epps didn't break the law, then nobody did. Thank you, Alex. Daddy always said brevity is the soul of wit. And Alex got that in, looks like 10 words. If Ray Epps didn't break the law, then nobody did. Boom. Which takes us full circle back to the start of the show, right? When Adam Kenzinger, Rhino, Illinois, was thanking Ray Epps. For what? Inciting the crowd? Give me a break. That's insane, man. That's uh, that's totally whack, if I may use that term in present company. That is totally whack. All right, then. You've been listening to Episode 65 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier X. And that's the way it is. Wednesday, January 12th, 2022.